We're going to climb the cliffs of insanity away from the shrieking eels to venture forth through the fire swamp to face rodents of unusual size, only to have to be rescued again. Inconceivable, you say? Well, you do not understand the term because William Goldman created what we know as the Princess Bride. First, what's on second? I don't know who's on third. Elementary, my dear Watson. What's in the box? Just what do you think you're doing, Dave? Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. But why male models? Why so serious? I am serious. Now don't call me sure. Well, nobody's perfect. Go ahead. Make my day. Special present. What is it? A book? This is a special book. It was the book my father used to read to me when I was sick, and I used to read it to your father. And today, I'm going to read it to you. I'll try and stay awake. Wesley had no money for marriage, so he packed his few belongings and left the farm to seek his fortune across the sea. Welcome everybody to Pop Culture. I am Scott. I'm Jason. And I'm Monica. And we are joined by a very special guest today. We have with us author of the Institute of Fantastical Inventions and its sequel, Magnetic Attraction, Mr. Dave Lees. Thank you very much for having me. Very pleased to be here. And um, can I say this is the first podcast I've ever been. So long time listener, first time <laughs> contributor. <laughs> awesome. Wonderful. We are yeah. very lucky to have you and uh, um, author of two fantastic children's books. If you have children or if you just like reading children's books, imagine some strange old <laughs> man sitting in. <laughs> there are people who do. That's... I'm sure. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure. Uh, Dave's books are fantastic and you should absolutely check them out. And we are we are privileged to have you with us, sir. Uh, very kind of you. Um, now I'm really excited to be on here. I think this is a great podcast. I've been really enjoying your takes on popular culture. I love your irreverent sense of humour. Um, so I'm really um, excited to be here. Um, as I said to you earlier, um, I am the film rookie of the group, but that's fine. Um, it's all about opinions, I've been told. And I've got plenty of those. Yeah, I've got plenty of those. Yeah, <laughs> that's all we need. Yeah. So um, we brought uh, Dave on to this episode. We're talking about, of course, the cult classic film, The Princess Bride. Um, I think one of the most potentially beloved films of all time although apparently not we've heard it's we've heard we've read some right. opinions this morning that may differ with that but <laughs> personally i, I think know. the they princess can... bride is a lot like a dog and i wouldn't trust someone who didn't like a dog <laughs> that's that's so obscure that's, that's, i don't know how to read that one <laughs> that's fine <laughs> there's no, something wrong with you if you don't like dogs i'm sorry okay they're a noble, noble animal, yeah. and this film no, it's, is it's certainly really good. It's certainly a classic, and it didn't actually come out in a way that was received that way. Uh, it's certainly one that grew on people, and 
I would say it's because it is a little bit out of left field in terms of this type of genre, ultimately, but we're used to it now. So if you watch it now, it probably doesn't seem as surprising as at a time. Uh, and yeah, it, but it's gold, pure gold in terms of that fant fantasy storytelling. Well, I'll, I'll just jump in there. Um, when you say it's like a dog, I mean, <laughs> dogs want to be loved, don't they? And this they is a do. film that they wants wants to be loved um and it's kind of innocent and wants to be loved and you've, you've got to kind of give your heart to it or kick it to the curb as you might want to do to a dog but <laughs> i won't be doing that um but yeah oh fair enough yeah that's a good way of describing it that chat we were seeing on facebook that revolves around some people not liking it so i guess they're kicking the dog monica your first impression of it um yeah i start off by saying that i am a really big fan of the book um, the Princess Bride, the book, is one of my favourites in the whole entire universe. It's an excellent novel. Um, and I also really like the film. It's one of the few that I feel is a really successful adaptation. It gets the broad strokes right. It comes across as this postmodern B-grade fantasy adventure, which I think is what makes it so delightful and surprising. It subverts a lot of things but still keeps some of the traditional aspects that you see in a fairy tale. And it's just delightful and out of left field and full of sharp wit and very funny. So it ticks all the boxes for me. Yeah, it's, it's come up with a few, quite a few immortal lines that are bandied about still, that's for sure. Oh, it's quotable. Yeah, I, I would never go in a land war against Asia, so that's just a mistake. <laughs> Good advice, isn't it? Uh, we've got, great we've advice. got a current government that probably Solid doesn't know. <laughs> I think it's 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 sort of um goes back to a sort of simpler form of storytelling where it's like the heroes are heroic, they're honorable, the the villains are devious <laughs> and bad and to the point of like, you know, matricide, but whatever. <laughs> it 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 it's just it's so sweet in its intentions. And and you don't get movies like that very often anymore. We've I think we've sort of become more cynical, and it's it's sort of odd the way it's built as this very sweet children's fairy tale, but in a kind of meta way. Well, I mean, I, I, and and talking about that time, like it, it does come out around the same time as the Naked Gun movies, right? Mid eighties, yeah, late eighties, yeah, um, yeah. which are also that that parodic meta thing. That are, that are never quite cynical though, but I, I think this is this is this is sweeter than those. They're they're much more sour in their sense of humor, and I, yeah, I agree. And I, I love what Monica said about it. it's postmodern, but it, yeah, it never feels cynical to me. It, it it just feels like it's it's having fun with the genre, um, not trying to be intellectual, but 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 hitting the sweet spot of being witty. Um, so yeah, that's my positive take on it. I think a really big part of what this um, what makes this movie so successful is what other performances. You can tell everyone's just having a really good time. Like, yes, you have someone like Andre the Giant who is no, you know, thespian or great actor, but he's good in the role of Fezzik and he's delightful. Yeah, his words are a bit garbled, but who cares? He's fun. He's a friendly, affable giant, you know. And oh, I, I think I, he works really he's a well. BFG. Yeah, no, I would I would say he's actually. I was actually just commenting this one. He's fantastic. His comic timing so is good. so good. He's dry. He's he's absolutely warm. Every time you, you look at him, you want to like be hugged by him. He's so he's such a great presence <laughs> on screen. He's 
Yeah. I mean, I don't yeah. know how much and range he had beyond something like this, but he's he's perfect for that role. He's really good, and I also love the um, buddy cop quality vibe he has with Inigo as well as they yeah. hatch their plan to sort of like get to Wesley so they can get to Count Rugen, the six-fingered man, so Inigo can have his revenge plot um, fulfilled. So those are the parts I really enjoy about the movie. It's just especially those two characters. <laughs> well, I, I came to it, like, I watched it for the first time two nights ago, um, which is quite odd. Like, Do you actually have seen it general. Before? No, I've never seen it, and that's and it was an odd experience because I'd seen all the memes, um, and I and I had plenty of friends who just raved about it, and I don't know why I resisted watching it. I watched it in two halves. I watched the first half, um, and thought, "Oh, this is a bit leaden. This is this is struggling a bit." There's some funny bits in the first half, the sword fight, the original sword fight, and the inconceivable. There's a few good bits, but oh my god, it's uh, it is leaden, and I don't know what happened, but I. I'd left it 24 hours and I watched the second half and I was absolutely bowled over by it and just charmed. So I'm not, I'm not sure what the experience is like, which, well, um, watching it late in life, you've, you've got all this um, cultural freight around it. And it's, you know, I didn't come to it with innocent eyes. I thought, is this overrated? It's surely overrated the way people talk about it. Um, but I was won over by the second half. And, um, and I retrospectively think about the first half now and think, oh, no, it worked all the way through, actually. It was... Um, yeah, fantastic. Great fun. I saw it in my like late teens or like 16, 17, which is probably out of, I think, where most people get introduced. To it. And I think it was like my my family growing up were like, we're not watching, like my brothers and my father were like, we're not watching a movie called The Princess Bride. <laughs> and um, and it wasn't until like my best mate was like, you don't get it, like you got to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was like, why didn't I see this? Like when I was younger, I felt robbed. <laughs> uh, um, it's, got some, it's just got some, oh, oh, sorry, Jason. I'm... No, I was just going to say, um, yeah, I think the most potent time to have seen it was when it was released because there it was subverting a lot of what you would have expected from it. Um, yeah. And yes the memes and as you said that cultural freight or loading that we have on it does change your view on it or your expectation of it mm. uh, but i think the heart of it it's pretty much summed up with the uh i keep calling him kevin arnold the <laughs> one he is um the, the kid. <laughs> he has a name <laughs> <laughs> fred savage, fred fred savage. savage. Yeah. and um uh peter fork that that sort mm. of that's the essence of it. And I was reading an introduction to the Princess Bride by William Goldman, and that beginning part was actually what he experienced in childhood, was his dad saying, I'm going to give you a story of this, and, uh, instead, and instead of baseball games being the main thing in life, and it might even have kissing in it, and, you know, he's sort of mm. like, <laughs> And they brought that into the film so well. It, it explicitly creates the structure of the acts if you look back at it you'll see that it's perfectly placed in these moments to give you that dramatic moments that it changes but um the characters are just so warm and authentic and it sort of makes you feel like it, it it's worthy of having that place that it has 
Oh, I, I will say, and I'm I'm 48, but like that last scene where um he said I will come back, the grandfather said I will come back. I felt very very emotional actually when he said I'll come back and reread it. Come back He goes as you wish, as you wish, and I was like, I am I am totally there. I've actually completely bought that line. That was gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, I will say um, the framing device for the film is so well translated from the book as well. The book is sort of um, a book within a book because it's an abridged um, version of this tale told by this S. Morgenstern character and Goldman's trying to give you this version of the story so his son will enjoy it in the same way that he did when his father read to him. Um, so when you have the, um, the grandfather and the grandson, you know, the grandson's sick in bed, he's obviously away from school and he's telling him this story and he's also adding in that kind of off commentary as well whenever there's an interruption in between acts. That happens in the book as well. You have Goldman coming in, sort of putting in a footnote or so or making some kind of snide, cynical but very funny comment to completely interrupt the narrative. But you're still really interested to see what he's going to say. Absolutely. And, of course, he's written the screenplay as well. So Yeah. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Uh, the other characters the as well. <laughs> Sorry, go, Dave. You go on that thread. Uh, just the absurd. Most, like I, I watched it in two halves, as I said, and I the, the bit that I came back in on where they're in the swamp of um the misery of the fire, the fire swamp. swamp, fire swamp, the fire swamp, yeah. and um he's he's battling the oversized rodent, which is already fire as a name. And then and then um it he throws it into the fire, and then it sort of staggers towards him, and he he Wesley just he stabs it three times and each, each time it gives this, the shit out of it yeah, but each time it gives this kind of like this really this the pathos there of just the shudders each time and that, that just broke me i just thought this is so funny and so sad all at once um and that's that's the kind of me the essence of the film it has it both ways all the time it's like it's ludicrous and absurd but also it 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 is maybe not scary but it's certainly it's got sort of a visceral quality like that that oversized rodent shuddered it shuttered each blade time the blade went in. You also see uh, that mirrored in when Wesley is tortured by the machine and Count Rugen yeah, is there as well. Like he, Rugen and, and Humperdinck have this almost King Leopold the second quality where the their the evil is kind of banal in a sense. And you know, the six-fingered man is sitting there being like, I want you to tell me what everything feels like when I put you through the machine. He wants an honest review of how <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, <laughs> Yeah, Which is frightening, but, but for me at the same time, I'm like, that is a psychopath. It's for posterity. Yeah. Oh, and his uh, response was perfect as well. He just whimpers. He starts crying. <laughs> <laughs> and just that slight homoerotic quality to it as well. Yeah, there is. The suction. I'm going to suck the life out of you. Yeah. One year Give at a time. Laugh. <laughs> And that sort of comes back at the end too, where uh, Wesley gives this horrific speech about what he's going to do to the yes <laughs> to, yeah. to, to Prince Humperdinck, yeah. and he and he just surrenders in the most like dandy way. <laughs> oh yes, tie me up. <laughs> I think a lot of it also comes down to Carriel's performance. He can sort of oh, teeter yeah. on this. Um, extremely funny but also very threatening kind of character um and also his physical comedy like when he's um just been brought back to life by billy crystal who is in a blink and you'll miss it <laughs> and you know he's with Inigo and fezzik and they're trying to sort of move his limbs fezzik is like like moving his head around like a puppet so they can hatch a plan together it's hysterical <laughs> 
<laughs> leading oh, straight over. out an acting <laughs> handbook that, totally. that character that's a sure. mm-hmm. can yeah. we can we talk briefly about the, the billy crystal scene because yes, the, it occurred to me like there's a couple of things politically that just you just can't do anymore one is, well, he's, is he's, the billy crystal scenes like the the, ver- the very very jewish doctor who's very interested in how much money yeah. money he will make out of it. <laughs> like sort of to the point yes. of like when they're dead you go through their pockets for loose change um <laughs> So, like that, that you know has not aged well, um, and and I guess Princess, like the the passivity of Princess Buttercup, you just couldn't do anymore, could you? Like as a heroine to be so um, fey and and passive, um, they're the only two things that occurred to yeah. me. Oh, that those two aspects probably you couldn't get away with anymore, but everything else feels fresh almost. I feel like the Buttercup thing definitely plays on kind of classic fairy tales. That sort of damsel in distress. I have no defense for the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, but sorry. yes, all those characters, like um, certainly Carrie Hill's uh, acting in the main role certainly carries a bit a long way. And it's backed up, though, by just about everyone in their prospective roles there. So, mm. I mean, Wallace Shawn as Vicini, I just, I couldn't imagine anyone else doing that. Apparently, Danny DeVito was down to be doing that one, and I'm just glad it was he him, was, yeah. though, because I just can't imagine anyone more else sort of delivering like a slight, that line. A slight yeah. vis- vicious edge to him, though. Yeah. But he's got it because he seems to be obviously not in a position to really have that role of a leader, and, you know, he's obviously downtrodden as much as the other guys have been, and uh, he's just... You know, small man syndrome almost coming out, but <laughs> yeah, small small intellect syndrome as well. And you get to the battle of wits, um, it's uh, or ego, I guess, is there. Uh, so the he, he's so funny in the way he kills, yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah, he doesn't doesn't worry about killing him, does he? No. <laughs> he doesn't knock, knock, <laughs> but it, it, it's a clever scene in that it's almost philosophical, the whole process mm. of the battle of wits because it's all making assumptions and he's assumed the wrong thing from the beginning and making all these ridiculous arguments about philosophers being you know dumb compared to him and yeah he's he's missed the original premise that he assumed something was what it was and both cups are poison <laughs> so yeah uh yeah so really great scenes um Christopher Guest. he swaps them <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. As you were saying, uh, Christopher Guest. Yeah, he's he's so good. <laughs> yeah, as Count Rugen, you don't recognise him. Like when you see no. him, his no. own films, he's yeah. It's not what you, you used know. to with Christopher Guest, <laughs> though. No, he disappears into that. That's for sure. That's, yeah, uh, quite quite well done. Yeah, and um, I have yeah. Go on, you go, Monica. I, I have to say, um, to switch to a different character, um, Matty Patinkin, who plays Inigo Montoya, gets the best mm. lines mm. in the entire film. He's like the MVP in this movie. Like all of my favorite quotes are from him. The best being, um, "Let me explain." No, there's too much. Let me sum up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that is so. That is relatable content. Right there. <laughs> yeah, a lot of school students out there when they're writing their essays goes, "Oh, why don't they just ask me to summarize?" <laughs> rather than explain yeah, yeah. No, it's great 
Yeah, and the sword fight between him and Kerry was on the cliff of insanity. Like, it's not a realistic fight in any sense of the word, but it's damn entertaining and it's so well choreographed. Uh, yeah, the, oh, great. The choreograph choreography there is fantastic. It's it's kind of a play on the old Elf Lynn sort of stuff, I guess. Yeah, right? um, it is. But um, but but no, some really great sword play there. Yes, really because they're fencing; they're not sword fighting. <laughs> Oh, yes, that's true. They are fencing. Pardon moi. <laughs> no, no, but uh, it's a sword fighting as far as the story is concerned. But, yeah, it is a sort of fencing. Well, it, it, it embraces the on. tone of the film, like the, 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 the you know, <laughs> aerobatics on the, the, the swinging on yes. the, like, and it, it's, it's totally ludicrous moments to, to stop your sword <laughs> fight to have a, a twirl. <laughs> like, and they just have all this banter going between which forms of fencing that, or their techniques that they're using. It's like, yeah. there's one thing you don't know about me. I'm fighting with my left hand and I'm yeah. left-handed. <laughs> and the, I think the speech leading up to the sword fight, like the, the dialogue exchange between the two of them on the cliff is just one of the best, like, mm bizarrely warming moments that precedes, you know, an attempted murder I've ever... <laughs> I guess it comes back to an honour system in a way. Um, yeah. That you sort of see in medieval settings and fantasy settings, there's this um, respect and honour that you have to your opponent, you know. It's when Inigo says to, um, you know, Wesley, you know, you seem a decent fellow, I'd hate to kill you. And then, you know, um, Wesley just goes, you seem a decent fellow, I'd hate to die. It's yeah. just, it's polite. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, everybody's tired. Like, no, no, take your time. It's all yeah, right. Yeah, it's okay. Well, let's just chill. <laughs> Let me tell you about my tragic backstory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, but it, it's like in that moment, you don't question the. No. It's just like, yeah, of course. No, and who would have thought that villains could be so affable and charming and, you know, almost um, anti heroes in a sense? Yeah, it does, does sort of, I guess become a portent to them being the heroes in the end too mm. so it does yeah. um yeah, it just shows that they're not quite what they seem i guess mm. uh chris sarandon yes <laughs> he's, he's always pretty good he's always he's good, always good. <laughs> so who, who does he play he's prince uh Humper prince Humperdinck. Humperdinck. oh yeah yeah he's great he's um it, it's one jarring thing for me because this wasn't far out from Fright Night and things like that. So for me, I'm seeing the vampire from Fright Night being a prince and it's, uh, but he, he sort of just strolls along with that same gravitas of. See, I would have that. seen Dog Day Afternoon just before I saw this. So he <laughs> <laughs> was the, uh, the transvestite lover of Al Pacino. <laughs> now that would have been a different experience. That was different. <laughs> But, uh, okay. like, what, what I love about it is like he just can't, he borders on the ridiculous, but he's never like the prince from Shrek. He he's, he never tips yeah. over into absolute ridiculousness. There's occasionally moments where you you see looks across his face and you think, oh man, it is hurtful to you actually the way they insult yeah. you, like or um, <laughs> or the way she doesn't want to marry you. Like he, he just he just gets you to empathise just that little bit so that just mm. that just that little sense of realism keeps creeping in there every time you think it's just absolute farce no there just is a little bit of realism um I think, which yeah. Is, yeah i think some of it goes back to um princely entitlement as well you know why doesn't the beautiful princess want me you know mm. um i'm this prince of this great kingdom of floria I'm, I'm also this amazing hunter that is you know of great repute mm. um but it, do, it does hurt his feelings a little bit yeah <laughs> <laughs> He's a sensitive soul. I have to yeah. say, um, there's a, 
an underlying influence from comedy throughout this, and I'd have to uh, tip my hat to Monty Python. Yeah. And a lot of moments there, you just get that feeling of a Monty Python esque moment. Um, you know, yeah. from the yeah. marriage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have in my notes now, Wedge. <laughs> but, um, and then just the, the Battle of Wits, and, you know, I don't think that means what you mean it to, sort of comments, and, um, yeah, just all these sort of sudden, really clever reflections on what's going on in front of you. Um, and a bit of Mel Brooks as well, right? Like, I feel yes. like it's in that, it's very yeah, much in that yeah. ballpark as well. I feel like that's what got Kerry Ulls, Ben and Tights, like that sort of... <laughs> the playing uh wesley yeah yeah absolutely sure. um, um i was just looking to uh sort of it's 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 definitely that sort of um you know not take the mickey out of fantasy films but it's certainly not your conventional fantasy film and i i wasn't around in the 80s so forgive me but like looking at like the fantasy what was that for <laughs> <laughs> No, why, why should we forgive you? I mean, come on. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at, like, uh, the fantasy genre around the time. So you've got, like, Conan at, like, 82. You've got Beastmaster, Excalibur. You've got all these fantasy movies that do sort of take themselves kind of painfully seriously. And then we get this, and then we get stuff like Willow after Princess Bride, which is definitely kind of more of the quirky, funny fantasy stuff. So it's sort of interestingly placed that they're all kind of these, like Conan's a really cynical fantasy story. <laughs> like, and, and a lot of those films are, and I guess it's sort of like a, almost a game changer in the sense of its sort of irreverence to the genre. Yeah, because Excalibur's great, but it, it, it is almost portentous, actually. I think it tips over into self-seriousness. And you're right, it is a nice flick in the second half of the 80s to get this, and you're right, Willow, where we say, we can we can do fantasy but we don't have to be so earnest and faithful we can actually have a modern sensibility because because excalibur felt like it had to be like uh, and maybe kind of slightly different but yeah like let's historically excavate what it was actually like back then and um these felt fresh actually i think modern. i think maybe the one film that might beat the princess bride to the pose in this kind of sense with restructuring or reimagining a fantasy film would be perhaps Labyrinth, which was released the year before. Uh, it's got that yeah. Jim yeah. Henson Muppet vibe. Um, it's a different kind of, um, it's, it's not doing that kind of sword and sorcery fantasy though. It's sort of more, um, no. well, like kind of fairy tale-y type, but, but yes. in the kind of like urban fairy tale. With David Bowie as the Goblin yeah, King. Yeah, crotch stuffing but, Goblin Kings. But I do think those two <laughs> films are linked in that kind of way where they're trying to look at, you know, fairy tales, fantasy, um, those sorts of stories in a very different way from what was previously represented in films like mm. Conan. So, I guess it's also just appealing to a broader audience too. Like I feel like I'd have no harms letting my kids watch Princess Bride, but Conan probably off the table for quite a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it also comes back to source material too, Conan's. These, you know, really grim Robert Howard blow of my blood stories that are a bit different to yeah. <laughs> The Princess Bride. But, you know, I think Conan influenced the genre where you've got all these kind of Beastmaster and these kind of really absurd Dolph Lundgren-esque characters running around after Arnie to go to kind of this and, and Labyrinth too. And that, you know, kind of not the big chunky 
warriors fighting things for honor. Yeah. And and that's that's right, isn't it? Like this, those almost sort of become, yeah. Like there's, where's your economy go there? Like they have to get bigger and stronger and stronger after Conan. Whereas, what's so fun about this is Wesley is is incapacitated, physically incapacitated. Like dragging him around the set is so funny to have this great, you know, like um. And he's still heroic. Like... <laughs> and he still he still manages yeah. to be heroic even when he's lying on the bed. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Or when he's being dragged around by Fezzik, who's like doing his best. You're doing amazing, sweetie. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, uh, I'm gonna leave you here. Just. <laughs> <laughs> and funnily enough, um, Andre the Giant um, wasn't the first pick for the character of Fezzik. Arnold Schwarzenegger no. was. <laughs> well, actually, Andre okay. the Giant was the first pick, but they couldn't get him, and so they were exploring mm. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, okay, and right. I think even Liam Neeson at some point. As Andre the Giant, but he was only six foot something. That would have been so weird. <laughs> but um, but how yeah. perfect would his diction have been? <laughs> you, you get clear enunciation in the rhyming. Yeah. <laughs> but fortunately, Andre the Giant became available when they went to film it, and I, I just, yeah, that's a gold point to it. It's like yeah. I don't think you could put anyone else in there so effectively because he does have that warmth. Yeah, and uh, yeah. reading all the backstory, he called everyone boss and stuff because he doesn't like being intimidating by his size, mm. and it yeah. just mm. shines through in his character. Yeah, so. thank, thank you, World Wrestling Federation, for freeing him up. Yeah, <laughs> Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon, you evil person, <laughs> sitting, sitting by counting his money, smoking a massive cigar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I want to point out the music by Mark Knopfler as well. Like, it's so mm. restrained for that time. Mm. Yeah. He, it's just a little bit of guitar and uh, I guess it's a bit of synthesizer sound, but it's not what you'd expect out of the 80s. No. And it still holds <laughs> up. Not, oh, no, like, I, I could be a good example. <laughs> the moon and back. <laughs> no, no. Go and watch Lady oh, Hawk. Yeah. If you've never seen Lady Hawk, go watch Lady Hawk and just try and get past that soundtrack. It's so hard. That's um uh Broderick? Yes. And the replicant? What's his name? Rodger Hauer. Yes, it is. Yes, thank you. Yeah, but uh the music in that one, that fantasy at that time, just it's slapping you in the face with this horrible 80s rock sort of sound whereas yeah. mark Knopfler really did consider what was being played for and it suits it so well i was actually surprised oh, when i went back to it yeah there's some great moments in the soundtrack there's one bit where um they if fesla has to um knock the door and before and Tiger is, is is bashing against it and every time the the music just hits it just as he hits it boom boom boom, boom. <laughs> just great yeah. Great little technical moments in this film. Mm. And uh, visuals, everything's sort of so well yeah. composed and it's done for that visual narrative. I think you could watch a lot of this film knowing what's going on without hearing a thing yeah, um, quite easily. So uh, really well made film. I do enjoy yeah. it. <laughs> no, it's it's uh, just a, it's a fun movie. It, it, it can it it absolutely is studied academically at film school and things like that. However, you could you can drop those glasses if you want and just have a really good time with it. 
Yeah, I'm really glad. I'm really glad I was pushed um, by this just this podcast. I don't know if I ever would have um, tackled it. Um, felt like I just missed my moment, but I hadn't missed my moment. I, you know, if there's anyone out there, you know, who think, oh, if I'd been in my teens or in my twenties, I should watch. No, no, pick it up now. Like, doesn't matter what age you are. I think you'll still find it fun. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so there is uh, rumors uh, floating around that they're going to remake it soon enough. No. no. And, uh, Leave it alone. Carrie yeah. Ulls <laughs> was interviewed about it, and he said there is a shortage of perfect movies in this world. It would be a pity to damage this world. <laughs> 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 oh, Respect wow. to Carrie Ulls. So and I don't think uh, anyone could say it better. That is. Um, <laughs> Pretty perfect. The Dread Pirate Roberts has spoken. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, no, I don't believe it should be uh, remade. No, no. If I you do, don't think it's it could... not going to be this. It's not going to be no. the same thing at all. No. Um, I don't see the point, to be honest. Yeah, just just leave it alone. It's perfect. <laughs> well, we might we might talk about that with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, right? Like with yeah, we can lead into oh. that. Oh. Yes. <laughs> just a just a foreshadow. of a discussion that I can imagine. Cool. Right. The Princess Bride. Thank you so much, Dave, for joining us to talk about this uh, wonderful, wonderful film. And I'm glad we got Very to well. uh, force you to watch it. I didn't realize <laughs> you uh, you'd missed out all these years. Yeah. No, very happy to. Thank. Excellent. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Culture. I have been Scott. I'm still Jason. And I'm still Monica. And I'm Dave. Pop Culture is produced by and recorded by Jason Eddy, Monica Porto, and Scott Souter. The clip for this week's show was the trailer for The Princess Bride, and the song at the end was the Once Upon a Time theme from The Princess Bride soundtrack. Uh, we'd like to thank Dave Lees for joining us on this episode, and if you'd like to check out Dave's books, The Institute of Fantastical Inventions and The Institute of Fantastical Inventions 2 Magnetic Attraction, they're available at places like Booktopia and Dimix. I thoroughly recommend that you check them out and uh, help support good local Australian authors' fantastic children's books. If you'd like to find us on social media, we're available at Facebook at facebook.com forward slash popculturepod, on Twitter at popcultureau, we're also available on Instagram and now on YouTube. And we would be very, very grateful if you could jump on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. It helps us expand the show and reach new listeners. Thanks, and we will catch you in a couple of days. Bye.